Welcome to episode 24 of the Forward from 50 podcast, where we interview people over 50 who are pursuing new direction for their lives. It's an opportunity for men and women to tell their stories, their own way, in their own words. I'm Greg Gerber, the founder of Forward from 50, and your host for today's show. Today I'll be interviewing a former pastor who felt called into a new life of making people laugh as a stand-up comedian. In 2018, Tim Ketcher Sid and his wife went away for the weekend to celebrate their anniversary. During that time, they created a bucket list of things they wanted to do, while they still had the energy and health to do it. At the time, Tim was a lawyer who also worked as a campus pastor at a mid-sized church in Farmers Branch, Texas. One of the desires of his heart was to serve as a stand-up comedian. He was 60 at the time, and the couple had both committed to being done with work by the time they were 65. Tim hired a coach to develop a three-year plan to help him transition out of church ministry, but he was able to walk away 18 months later. As soon as he shared his dream with his wife, Tim sought stages upon which to perform a stand-up comedy routine. Fortunately, there are several comedy clubs as well as bars, restaurants, and theaters hosting open mics in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. That made it possible for him to perform about 150 short 3-10 minute routines in 2019 alone. After testing some routines on various stages, Tim created a clean comedy show for a local theater. That enabled him to expand his routine from just a few minutes up to 45. He was very well received by the audience, but then COVID put an end to live performances for 18 months. During that time, Tim continued to hone his craft by attending online classes and performing again as soon as public performances were allowed. Branding himself as the clean comic, Tim also started performing for corporate audiences at trade shows and other meetings. To tell us about his journey from pastor to comedian and what it meant for him, please welcome the clean comic, Tim Ketcherson, to the show. Thanks for joining me today, Tim. I really appreciate it. Tell us a little bit about how you came to the conclusion that you were going to step down as the head pastor of a church to become a comedian. It's a little bit of a trick question and maybe more involved. I will say this. I don't know if you were there the day that I did the talk to the church. This is what I'm doing and why. So that's out there. It's in the, the cloud somewhere. But maybe four and a half, five years ago, my wife and I were on a weekend kind of anniversary thing. And for some reason, I felt like, we, hey, we need to make a bucket list. We need to make a list of the things that we want to do while we still have the health to go do those things. And I was like, one of the things that made my list was I want to do stand-up comedy. I want to be funny on purpose. And you know how sometimes you'll do make a list of like that, but then you just completely ignore it. And that's what we did. But with this particular thing, I have a lawyer friend. I'm also a lawyer who I was just talking with one day and we were, he, we were talking about things that we wanted to do. And we ended up taking a comedy writing class at the Dallas comedy house together and that, that kind of kicked it off for me. And that was in the summer of 2018. So coming up on five years ago and uh, anyway, I enjoyed it. And one thing led to another and it became clear to me that I needed, the church needed me to make a transition. And so I went to the senior pastor and the executive pastor. And I was like, look, at that time, my wife, my wife is a little bit older than me. And uh, she was 62 and I was like, I think I want to figure out how to be out of here by the time we reach retirement age. And so that in my head, that was three years. 
How old were you at the time? 60. And so I went to them and I said, Hey, I want to figure out how to make a healthy transition here. We've been at the church on staff for 16 years, but member of the church for 30 years, we've been there a long time and I had no interest in going to church somewhere else. So I wanted to figure out how can I transition out of this role and still be a member, a part of the congregation. And so I was like, I want to figure out. So I hired a coach, went to the senior pastors, after pastor, said, I'm going to hire a coach, help me think about this transition and how to do it and blah, blah, blah. Anyway. So what initially looked like it was going to be a three-year deal turned out to be a one-year deal or maybe 15, 18 months. And in that process, I was like, I'm going to re I'm going to retire from full-time vocational ministry, but I want to, I'm 61. I still want to do stuff. And I think I want to pursue the stand-up comedy as a way to supplement our income and follow that passion. Have you That's ever a long answer? Sorry. Have you ever done comedy before? Stand-up comedy? I've been doing it since 2018. So it, I'm in Dallas and open mics. This is like karaoke for people who want to be funny. You can just show up and go up and tell jokes. And you can probably do that in 25 or 30 different places or probably close to 50 by the time you start talking about Fort Worth, Arlington, McKinney, Denton, Dallas, these places that are close enough for me to drive. So you can get time. And so for the, since 2018, I've been doing that. In fact, in 2019, so I started 2018, the summer in 2019, I told my wife, I was like, I want to make a run at this. I want to see if I could do this. And we've been married for 40 years, but I'm still not a good communicator. I thought that I had communicated very well what I had in mind, but I found out I hadn't communicated it that well. But anyway, I went up about 150 times in 2019 at open mics three or four times a week, I was going up, I ended up, and when you go up, then people ask you to be on shows occasionally. And I ended up producing a, a clean comedy show at a local theater here in Farmer's Branch called the Firehouse Theater. And so I got really involved and then the pandemic hit and then it was like 18 months off. So the five years is a provisional five years, but yeah, so been doing that since 2018. Before that, I'd tried to be funny, but not necessarily on purpose or not in a formal or a structured kind of way. So are you just doing performances at the stand-up comedy clubs or are you doing conferences and things like that too? I would do it anywhere somebody would hire me to do it. Saturday, I was down in a little town in the hill country called San Saba and did a Valentine's Day dinner for a church. And I did about an hour for them. And given my age and the style of comedy that I do, it's a good fit for corporate kind of stuff. So I've done in the pandemic, I did some virtual shows, a Christmas party for the HR department or a sales meeting for a company, salespeople, that kind of thing. So yeah. These kind of wholesome entertainment venues or opportunities, I think would be very popular considering how badly comedy is today. 
in many venues. You look on the screen and on TV shows and late night shows, et cetera, it's just yuck. So to have somebody come up there who understands human nature and finds it funny, but can articulate that in a wholesome way, right. I think that'd make you very popular. I hope that it does. And I enjoy doing it. I will, I'm not trying to defend rank, raw, rude. There are funny people out there and some people who are doing stuff that I don't think is dirty or it may not be as it may, it may not be Disney friendly, but it's still really good. People like Brian Regan and Jim Gaffigan, Jerry Seinfeld, Mike Merbiglia, I think I'm not saying that they don't ever say a dirty word or a word that your mother wouldn't want you to say, but for the most part, they're really very funny and people who I aspire to be like, but you're right. If you go to an open mic, I'm going to try to do two open mics tonight, man, you better have your lead or asbestos bridges on because it's going to be, it's going to be spicy. Sure. And some of it may be funny, but. Some of it's just shock, but anyway. How long are your shows? Like at an open mic, you're going to get in Dallas, you're going to get between three and 10 minutes. So like at the back door in Richardson, which is a club that's been going on for a long time and they, it's a clean mic and they police it pretty well, but it's been going on. I think it's the longest running open mic in Dallas and you get three minutes. And that's not a lot of time. Typically they're more, the more typical one is five and a few will give you seven and some will even stretch it to 10, but it's just the market where I am is there's a lot of people wanting stage time. Part of the reason I started producing my own show was to give myself more time. And I started out, I gave myself 10 minutes and then I gave myself 15 minutes. Then I gave myself 30 minutes. And last time I did about 45, but anyway, for the most part, you're just hitting little four or five minutes at a time. And what do you typically like to talk about? It's an interesting question. Sex at an open mic. You're going to, you're going to get a lot of that relationships. You're going to get a lot of that. One of the things that I think is current is people, and this has been going on for some time, and I think maybe Richard Pryor really maybe started this idea of, I'm going to disclose the real me on stage. And so this idea of authenticity or vulnerability, and so you see that a lot and then different common things that people experience that they, that are then used to expose the real me or how I'm really feeling. Maybe a, a stereotype or cliche in the comedy world is you should be yourself dialed up to 11. So just an exaggerated form of yourself. For me, I've got jokes about being a lawyer. I've got jokes about being a preacher's kid. I've got jokes about going to the doctor, my relationship with my wife, my kids. It's just who you are. I think Tim Hawkins, who is clean and very funny and just killing it. He'll say something like, I just tell you what's going on in my life. And he knows how to do that in a funny way. 
I saw on the cruise ship, there was a comedian from Canada, Andrew Gross, and he's been at it for a long time. And they had a meet and greet, talk to the comic kind of coffee one morning. And he's, how do I write stuff? He says, I let stuff happen to me. That's it. That was one of the questions I had was how do you find the material to talk about on stage? Do you like keep a notebook with you and write these things down as that they happen? Or is it just going back into your memory to remember funny things? Maybe both. Uh, there's a guy here in Dallas who teaches and he's really good. His name is Dean Lewis. And there's a book, the comedy Bible that he is, he's a, an acknowledged contributor to the book. I can't remember the lady's name, Judy something wrote it. Anyway, there's a new edition out. His advice early on was you need to every day, write down two things that he calls UG moments. What, what made you just, and write those down. And so that was the basis of your material. And as a general proposition, and this may, people may not be liking this, but humor comes out of negativity. What are these things that make you angry? or drive you crazy or that are weird or stupid or hard or tough. And so that's what an UG moment is. And you keep a record of those. And then you pick a couple of them and you start writing around those things. And so it's in that sense, it's observational. I was thinking about, I've got this life in the church. My dad was a preacher. I've been in the church around the church from a professional standpoint, literally my whole life. The mystics, the monks, they have this, what is, when you get to the end of the day, what's a desolation? What's a consolation? What is this thing that, what brought you down? What lifted you up and be mindful of those things. And that's what this is. You're just, you're, you're writing that and then you're making a joke about it. Those are the kind of topics that I think people can relate to because sure. they're yeah. experiencing it and they're probably yeah. thinking the same things. Yeah. And so that's why when you are talking about it on stage and even if it's a self-deprecating, yeah, self-depreciating kind of thing, yeah, just people can relate to that and find it. Yeah, I was thinking. I have a joke about going on my doctor's website, filling out some forms, and setting an appointment. It was so convenient. But then when I got there, I had to fill out the same forms by hand. And people my age, generally, they really yes, that's crazy. What are we doing? And so they like that. They, it's one of those things. It drives me crazy. And although <laughs> this may be weird, a long time ago, I remember deciding, you know what? I'm normal. I'm normal. If I'm thinking something, feeling, this was like 40 years ago, because you know how you struggle with your identity and everything. I was like, you know what? I think I'm just, I'm normal. What I'm feeling, experiencing, this is what other people are feeling and experiencing. And it's true. We all, we're all normal or in the, we're all abnormal in the same way. I don't know what it is, but. Did you find it difficult to transition from being in a stage on church to a stage in a comedy club? It's different in the sense that in the clubs, generally the light is right in your eyes and you can't see people in church. I can see everybody. <laughs> okay. That would help. It would help. Well, I like, like to see everybody, mm -hmm. but generally. And this kind of goes with the authentic self-disclosure kind of thing that is happening. There's an agreement that in a way, and I heard somebody on a podcast, I'm trying to think of who it was. It was just recently. It was on Mike Birbiglia's podcast. 
but this lady was talking about, it's this agreement. I'm going to tell you these deep, dark secrets about myself, but you will, I can't see you. And we are entering into this kind of agreement, which I thought was so interesting, but the comedy stage, there is a sense in which it's a little bit more adversarial. If I could put it that way, I don't feel like when I'm at church, I'm trying to win approval or friendship, or I feel like I have that. And so it's a safe, it, for me, it's a safe space to be in as a comic. When I get up, I feel like it's not safe. You don't get heckled too often in a church as a general rule, but that might happen more frequently at a comedy club. I would think, how do you handle that? It doesn't happen much, but it's just this, there's, I want to give people a reason to laugh and sometimes you'll get into a space where it's a real, it's like they're challenging you to make them laugh. And other times you'll get there and that's all the only reason they're there. So sometimes it's, it is a battle. And they're sometimes insisting on not laughing. It really doesn't matter what it is. Yeah. Do you have to think on your feet when you're coming up with some of these things? Or is this pretty much things that you have planned or to talk about and you've rehearsed in your mind and actually yeah. with other people? This is an interesting question for me. It may not be. I started, I went to the senior pastor and to the executive pastor and one of the goals for myself was I wanted to be funny on purpose, which for me meant I knew what I was going to say before I got there. I said it when I got there and people laughed. It wasn't, there was no, so I went to the senior pastor and executive pastor. I was like, I will submit to you what I'm going to present at these open mics or whatever, because I don't want to put the church in an awkward place. So if you see something that I thought was funny and I wrote this thing, but you're like, I don't think that's a good thing to do. I won't do it. I don't want to create a problem. So I was submitting to that. I just, I didn't want to create a problem for the church. So I was not ad-libbing. I was not off the cuff, seat in my pants when I was going out. And the goal to be purpose on funny, to be funny on purpose, requires me to know what I'm going to do and also want it to be repeatable. So I was like, if this is funny, then I can go do it somewhere else. I don't off of the cuff and crowd work and that kind of thing depends on the moment and being there. And that's all good. And there are people who are really good at it, but I wanted something that I could take just about anywhere and do it. And it would help people laugh. So for me, it's not getting up and exploring ideas or crowd work. For me, it's, I've got these jokes. I know what there are and I know I'm going to do it. I'm not saying that I don't in the moment acknowledge something that's happening or ad lib, but that's not really what I'm relying on. Were you yeah. an attorney before you became a pastor? So I got licensed to practice law in 1991. And we moved to Dallas from Houston. I was born and raised in Houston and I went to work for the city attorney. My dad was the senior pastor at the church. And so that's where we went and we were heavily involved for the whole time we've been here. But in 20, in 2006, I came on staff as the executive pastor and as the executive pastor, I was, I was not preaching and teaching. I was managing staff and program and facilities and all of that side of it. 
and we were in a situation where our, we were doing five or six services a weekend. We just, we were landlocked. We couldn't build more space. We couldn't do the parking to have the space. And so we were looking for a solution and we ended up doing two campuses. And so when we opened the Vista Ridge campus, I became the campus pastor of the original campus. And so I was wearing multiple hats during those days as the campus pastor and the executive pastor. And that, that carried on from 2007 to 2015. And then in 2015, I, we hired a, an executive pastor and I just kept the role as the campus pastor. Very good. Yeah. How did your family and friends react to your decision to step away from the church to become a comedian? This is an interesting question. And so I hired this coach to help me through this process and to think through it and to try to do it well. And one of the, one of the things that I felt like I hadn't done well in previous life decision transition stuff is I didn't feel like I had involved my wife at a level that I should have. And so he was trying to help me do better at that. And so the level of communication with my wife, which is the biggest issue was good enough. And she is so supportive and she has been, she's a cheerleader for me and is on board with it. And so that that's been good. My dad is actually, was actually on staff at the church also. And my mom and dad were supportive of me, but when I decided to transition, it put a different kind of pressure on them. And so it put them in a position to make some decisions about retirement also. My dad turned 86 in November. So his, and at that time he was pro, he was working seven days a week, literally going into the church, into the office every day. It's what he loves. It's what he wants to do. And, but it, so it was, it put a little pressure on him, but he wasn't otherwise having to deal with. And so I don't know whether he wanted to retire exactly or not, but he ended up retiring at the same time I did. Yeah. Family's been supportive. My kids are grown. I've got a 41 year old, a 37 and a 36 year old, and they're all good and supportive of it. Did it require any special training to become a comedian or an investment on your part? The, this is one of those things where I think sometimes I think formal training around this particular thing is not, I wouldn't say frowned on, but it's, oh, you're not a real comedian then. Okay. If you don't just naturally do it. And I think that uh, undermines the amount of work that it takes to do it. It's like people, you can write a song, you can write music with no formal training, but at some point you've got to have enough training to be able to put it down in a way that people can hear it or produce it. Comedy, there's a lot of information and out there and available. There's actually degree plans now at universities for it, but I did take writing classes, comedy writing classes. They're short, continuing education kind of vibe almost. They're all independent kind of guys who've been at it for a while. So Dean Lewis is a guy here in Dallas who does that and he's excellent. He's excellent. I, I watch people who don't get any training and I'm like, that's not funny. 
and you don't even know why it's not working. You're not, it, you could make it funny, but you've got some work to do. So I, that's my personal view. I did stuff with Dean Lewis and Rick Roberts, who's out of Nashville and Robert G. Lee, who is in Los Angeles and Greg Dean who's another guy in Los Angeles. These were things where I really, I paid a tuition and went through the course and worked to, you don't have to do that. You just have to be funny. But I would think that having that kind of coaching really helps you in determining, I think timing for one thing, you know, it's all about timing, Yeah, how you can tie back a joke now that you, to something you had talked about 10 minutes earlier and people remember it. It's just Seinfeld doing that all the time. Yeah. It's probably like any other art. It takes time to learn how to do it. And I think if you put the effort in, you get better. So how do you get your clients? That's a good question. I do not know the answer to that. Okay. Are they seeing you at your, at the comedy club and then saying, Hey, I'd like you to come do a party for us. There are some online booking services, gig masters or no gig salad and the bash or two, and you can, it's a subscription fee. And then people go there shopping for different things. Comedy is one. And so you can, and I've gotten some work off of those and that's paying a fee to play and then a fee when you book something, but it's just this at the, we went on this cruise in January, February 1st is okay. This is my first day of, I'm going to start working on this in earnest. And my, I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to write jokes. I'm going to tell jokes and I'm going to ask to go up. And so the asking to go up, there are bookers at the clubs and there are event planners and there are, there, there are people who you have to ask, who have to know you're there. I saw Steve Martin on the masterclass thing. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. It's that it's like a subscription thing. Like you can hear famous authors teach about writing or whatever it is. Anyway, Steve Martin was on there and he goes, if you're going to be discovered and he was trying to be nice is you have to be in New York or Los Angeles. If you're going to be discovered because you have to be within an eye shot of the person who's making the decision. And so figuring out how to get within eye shot of a booker or somebody who has an event or that's, that's the asking to go up part for me. And so you've got, I don't have an agent. Nobody, most people don't have an agent or a manager. You're really, it's all self-help. So finding the people who are making those decisions and building a relationship with them, that's the game as far as getting asked or chances to go up. If you had to do this all over again, is there anything you do differently? I am notwithstanding how that big, long sermon that I gave you about writing everything down. I am a bit of a seat of the pants kind of person. So I would show up at an open mic, not clear in my head, which of these pieces that I've written am I going to do? And I would sit there and listen to other people go and watch and try to decide what I was going to do. I think what I would do differently, if I could go back and redo the four years, I would be ready to go up and do the thing that I was going to do. What everybody else is doing is irrelevant. I need to be ready to do my thing. The other thing is. I would ask bookers to let me go up. I, and I did not do that. 
I just wait for somebody to ask me. And so that, that part of it, I should have been better at or more proactive on. Have there been any rewards from doing this? I enjoy doing it. I don't know where this comes from. I had a good friend. He's passed away. It's been 10 years. Wow. His name was Richard Seymour. He was a minister at the church, but I knew him as a child growing up. And I think he got this from Rick Warren and it's about what is your calling or your, and he said, when you're trying to figure it out and I'll probably mess this up, but you'll enjoy doing it. You'll be good at it. Other people will notice. And those things are true for me with regard to stand up. I'm pretty good at it. I'm funny. People notice it and I enjoy doing it. So there may be four things I can't remember now. I shouldn't have started down that path, but those are, that's look, great advice. Yes. Look it up, maybe. Enjoy yeah. what you're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a key. And yeah. you, you, if you're good at it, you're going to enjoy doing it. And right. I know people who aren't good at it, who say they enjoy it. So I, I want to be self-aware enough to know, is that me? But mm -hmm. yeah. And others will notice it and yeah. that's, and her reward. And that's what yeah. the hallmark of a calling is. So that's really neat. Yeah. And so yeah. your calling has evolved over time. Do you yeah. think that happens a lot for people? I'm, you know what? I'm sure it does. I remember well struggling with what am I going to do? Who am I, what am I going to be? Who am I going to be? And all that. And looking at my dad and my dad really, I felt knew what he wanted to do and who he wanted to be very early, right out of high school. And so he's been at it up until he's 86 and he's still at it. He wanted to be a preacher. He wanted to be a minister or somebody who pastors people and teaches, and he's been doing that. And so I've wanted a calling. And I think maybe it's one of those fantasies that doesn't really exist. You think it's something, but it's really just making a commitment to this thing that you enjoy and staying committed to it. Maybe that's it. I don't know, but I do feel good about where I am. And I felt good about where I was 15 years ago. But I feel I, this is where I need to be right now. And I'm good with that until it's the Lord calls me to something else, which would be fine too. But, Do you have any advice for people over 50 to help them either identify or pursue something they're passionate about? Oh, I think those three things, if you see those three things, then just lean into that, lean into it. For me, it became clear that what I had been doing was coming to an end. And I have a, the coach recommended a book to me, Transitions. And it's, a, it's an older book. It's probably 25 or 30 years old, but it was really good. And one of the things that the book talked about was a transition is different than a change. In a transition, a transition begins with something coming to an end. Something is coming to an end. And for me, I realized what was coming to an end was my work at the church. That's coming to an end. And that helped me then, oh, this is coming to an end. And I'm not trying to revive it. I wasn't trying to resuscitate it. No, it's coming to an end. Oh, so now I need to be, what's next? And so I may be recognizing if, they, if something's coming to an end, that's a transition. It's not the end. And be okay with that. That's right. You know? I'd agree. Too many people get caught up in that, oh my gosh, I've lost my job. Now what am I going to do? Everything's changed. Yeah. And their life yeah. takes on no meaning. I've been there. 
thinking yeah. that at times. So yeah, that's yeah. very good advice. Yes. Yeah. So do you do this comedy? You make a living at this now, right? This is what, no, 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 okay. no. I have a joke about that, <laughs> about meeting with our financial planner, thinking about retirement. And he says, well, you may want to stop at Walmart on the way home and get fitted for a blue vest. Cause if you retire, you're going to be spending some time as a greeter. <laughs> and so, um, I want to develop the business side of it to the place where it is providing some income. I would love it if it, if it provided a great living, but for right now, the, I've got some modest goals around income for it. And so we're not relying on it to necessarily put bread on the table or anything else, but I would, the, for me, I would love within the next two or three years to be able to say, yes, is providing a source of income that's sufficient to maintain the lifestyle that we want. Do you ever uh, see yourself retiring uh, or how well, would you define retirement? That might be a better question. I'm going to say that I'm going to say that I am retired because I'm only going to do what I want to do when I want to do it. I want to be productive. I want to work. Like I was saying before I got on the call with you, I'm responding to questions from clients that I have for the legal work and setting appointments to do that. I don't want the reason I like the stand up and I think of it as more of a retirement thing, the, with the legal work or with the church work, you've got the responsibility to be there and to get it done on these time frames, and you start having less and less control over those things. And so I don't want to, when people ask me, oh, are you going to go be a lawyer? No, I'm not, I'm not going to go be a lawyer. I've got clients who I've done work for if they need me to do something. I will keep their file current or whatever, and I will make some money doing that, but it's not, I'm not going to turn that light on and go market and build 2000 hours this year. I don't want that. That's heavy. It's rewarding, but it's heavy. And so I'll spend 2000 hours trying to get stand up work. It's more fun. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. How, how can people connect with you if they'd like to? I meant to. I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, and I'm on Twitter. As far as social media, I've got a website. It's timketrasid.com. So you can keep up with me and see what's happening there. But yeah. Very good. Thank you so yeah. much, Tim. This has been a lot of fun. Greg, I've enjoyed it. This is, I'm glad you're doing this. I hope it helps people. It's helpful for me just to think about it again. I had met Tim Ketcher said several times in the past when I would visit my daughter in Texas. I'm glad he allowed Forward From 50 to share his story and inspire others. I appreciated Tim admitting that he too struggled with what he was going to do with his life. That's why he's convinced your purpose can change several times over your life. I certainly know it did for me. Tim's explanation about transitions was important to understand. A transition begins with something else coming to an end. You just sense that it's time to move on. And like Tim said, a transition doesn't signal that your purpose in life is coming to an end. Rather, it's going in a different direction. Not only is it okay for us to desire different things at various stages of our life, Tim explains that it's important to pursue that calling. It may be uncomfortable as you venture out on a new sense of purpose. You'll probably make mistakes while you're trying to figure it out. However, you'll enjoy doing it and you'll get better and people will notice. 
people like and appreciate when people are being authentic. Many times people treat perfection with skepticism because they can't relate to perfect people. It boils down to finding something you enjoy and staying committed to it. Tim said he feels very good about where he is today, but he also felt the same way about where he was 15 years ago. So if you're over 50 and struggling with a sense of purpose and wondering if you still have anything left to contribute to the world, I'm sure Tim would agree that you most certainly do. Perhaps there's a smoldering desire in your heart that's just waiting for you to give it a little oxygen so it can turn into a burning passion. To connect with Tim, visit www.timthecleancomic.com or look for his profile on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Several videos of his routine are also available on YouTube. That's all I have for this week's show. If you'd like help identifying a purpose for your life or to get help planning your next steps, I'm offering a complimentary brainstorming session to members of the Forward from 50 Facebook community. For details, connect with me on Facebook or visit www.forwardfrom50.com. Please join me again next week for another inspiring interview on the next episode of the Forward from 50 podcast. Thank you for listening.